We've been kind of bouncing around a little bit in the Gospels as we're looking at the Christmas stories and kind of different implications of the Christmas stories. So this morning, we're in one of my favorite Christmas passages, John chapter 1. We're going to start reading with uh, verse 1. So you, you've, if you've got a Bible that you brought or a Bible out of the chair or you can use your, your app to go to a Bible or pull it up on your iPad or something, it's great if you can read along. John chapter 1. This is often a passage we use on Christmas Eve. We're not going to use it this year, so you're getting a little sneak peek at the the Christmas Eve story, but um, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then just jump down a few verses to verse 14. It gives us a a description of what that word is. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Sing this little chorus if you know it. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. So I woke up this morning a few minutes before my alarm went off. And one of the first things I thought was Psalm 118, verse 24. You know what that verse is? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So I just woke up really excited. I opened up my window and I looked out. And man, it is absolutely beautiful out my back window. See the snow on the pine trees and everything. Not a track in anybody's yard. It's awesome. And so I whip out of bed and get my sweatpants on and put my coat on. And I bundle up and I go outside and I get out there and it is just crisp. And is that a good way to say it? It's just so fresh. I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. So I start to shovel my driveway. And as I'm shoveling, I'm just thankful that I got a nice warm house. I'm thankful that I got a nice warm coat, that I got a nice warm hat. I'm thankful I have a shovel. I'm thankful that I got health, that I can shovel. So I shovel off my driveway and my sidewalk, and I'm still feeling pretty good. So I got a shut-in next door. I go shovel their driveway, and I'm thinking, man, this is a, uh, just a great day. And I go back in, and um, my wife has my apple ready for breakfast, so I eat my apple for breakfast and get in a nice warm shower. Um, my wife has been shopping, so I've got a nice new sweater laid out for me when I get ready to go. Get in my car, which heats up almost immediately, and I'm so thankful for that. I come here in this beautiful place, and all you beautiful people show up, and it's warm in here, and it just makes me so grateful. And I, all these things kind of well up in me, this kind of sense of gratitude, and I guess you could call it praise, or you could call it adoration, right? And I think that these are gifts from God. All these things that I get to enjoy and all these blessings are reasons why I get to adore God. And this really fits with our theme for this whole Advent season because we've been trying to like recognize the reasons we have to adore Jesus. And by looking at different names, we've been recognizing 
all the places where we can adore Him. And so much of my adoration, I have to admit to you, comes from the things that God does for me. He continually lavishes these wonderful blessings on me. And so, I, you know, I adore Him because He's good to me. I wonder if our adoration could go a little bit deeper. And so we've been trying to peel back some layers of names of Jesus to see if that helps us maybe take it beyond just, well, I adore God for what He's done for me. Can I adore Him for something more? And we've been uh, suggesting that you could all make a little adoroscopes. I don't know how many of you have done this at home. I hope if I would come visiting, I'd see these on your front uh, count, kitchen counter or something. What this does is it forces you to focus. It narrows your field of vision so you can only see uh, a few things, only a few people at a time. And we felt like this was important this time of year because there's so much stuff that comes into our lives at Christmas. It just distracts us like crazy. So our attention is spread out, scattered out all over the place. We need something to help us narrow that field of focus so that we can zero in on Jesus. And that's what we've been trying to do. And so the first week that we looked at this, we recognized that Jesus was the King The king is the one who rules. He rules and reigns over everything at all times. And he's the king that wants to bring righteousness and justice and peace. This is what the king brings. He establishes a good kingdom. And so we zeroed in on that. The next week we looked at Jesus, Emmanuel. This is one of the names that's been given to him. Uh, God with us. And we recognize that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what kind of darkness we might find ourselves in, No matter how difficult it might be to see the light, we recognize that God is still with us. He never leaves us. This is God, Emmanuel. Last week, we looked at Jesus, the anointed one, and we recognize that anointed ones are, they're set aside with a special calling. And Jesus was called, anointed by God, to come and fix everything that's broken in this world. That's what He came to do. And today, we're going to look at kind of how He accomplished that. How did Jesus fix what is broken? We're going to explore how Jesus fulfills His mission. I want you to think for just a moment about um, who do you imagine you are praying to when you pray? Do you have like a picture of God or if you're praying to Christ, do you have a picture of Christ when you're praying? Think about that for a second. I want to share with you the, the most unusual uh, picture that I've ever heard about someone praying, and this is the, this is the way they prayed. Dear tiny Jesus in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little balled-up fist, dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant and so cuddly, but still omnipotent. That's kind of an odd way to start praying, isn't it? Some of you know where that prayer came from. I'm not going to tell you. But this prayer precipitated a discussion with the people who were sitting around the table about who do you imagine you're praying to when you pray? Do you, do you picture? Do you have an image of them? Um, and the person who prayed this prayer defended his prayer because he said, you know, when I pray, I like to pray to the Jesus of Christmas. And so I think of Jesus as an infant. But others who were sitting around the table said they like to pray to, uh, one of them said, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. Because I like to party and I like to picture Jesus partying, but he has a little class while he's doing it. And then some of the other persons around the table said, I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. Some like to picture Jesus as Santa Claus or like a vending machine, just waiting to dispense the thing that you really want. Some people like to picture Jesus as like a super cop 
who's watching over, waiting to catch you doing something wrong. Or maybe picture Jesus like, a, like a, an angry judge who, once you've been caught doing something wrong, he's just waiting to, to hammer on you with some kind of sentence. Or some people picture Jesus as the absent-minded grandfather who just is kind of like, oh, whatever happens, happens, I'm just going to love you. What do you like to picture Jesus as when you pray? Do you imagine that? Do you ever think about that? Who are you praying to? I like to picture Jesus when I pray as the Word made flesh. And there's a technical name for this. It's called incarnation or the incarnated one. And this comes from that John 1.14. In the Latin, the word for made flesh is incarnate. Okay? I like to picture Jesus that way. And you might be thinking, that's kind of an odd way to picture Jesus when you're praying. Why would you picture Jesus that way? Some people get a little bit nervous if we picture Jesus as too human. You know, we're used to picturing Jesus as divine, as godlike. We picture Jesus as this almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-conquering God. You know, someone like that, a Jesus like that is worthy of our prayers, right? Worthy of our adoration. And the Bible, after all, does talk about this a lot. It gives God these kind of lofty attributes. You know, when the Bible describes God in the Old Testament, the basic picture that we get is that you cannot look at God and survive. If you look at Him, you're doomed. The Bible pictures God as beyond knowing. He's so magnificent, so wonderful, so marvelous. We can't know. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. This is the way the Bible describes Him. God is so amazing. In fact, God's chosen people for generations thought that they should not even say God's name because it's too sacred. It's too special. God is too awesome. This makes me think of passages like Isaiah 6. This is Isaiah's vision of God. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And as they were flying, they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And as the sound of their voices rang out, the doorpost and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. This is about as close as people got to seeing the Lord Almighty, a vision. Moses maybe got a little bit closer. He wanted to see God, and so God put him in a rock and a crevice and said, I'm going to pass by. And as I'm passing by, you can't see me until I'm behind, I'm past you. And then you can see my back. That's all you can see. You can't see my face because no one can see the face of God and live. This was the image that people had of the Old Testament. And it was thought that to be human is to be flawed, to be weak, to be undone. This same imagery is definitely attached to Jesus in several places. My favorite place would be in Revelation chapter 5. People are looking up to the throne, and this is what John saw. Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing on the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and by the elders, and they were singing a song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain 
And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests and to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. The They encircled the throne and the living creatures and each other, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all of them were saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and they all fell down and worshiped. This is the image that we often have of God and of Jesus. Almighty, all power, all powerful, all omnipotent, and worthy of our adoration, worthy of our praise. We sing a song about this sometime, and the lyrics are He's not a baby in the manger anymore, He's not a broken man on the cross, He didn't stay in the grave, and He's not staying in heaven forever. He's alive. This is an almighty, all-powerful God who's worthy of our adoration. And the amazing thing, I think one of the most amazing things of all of the Christmas story is that this God became a baby. This God wrapped himself up in six pounds, eight ounces of flesh and made himself completely helpless wrapped up in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. This God became a baby. The Bible talks about some implications of that when it describes Jesus. It talks about Him as having the same kind of needs that you and I have, that He needed sleep, He needed food and water, He needed physical protection, He needed friendship, We see that he had lots of common characteristics that we have. He perspired, he cried, he bled, he stubbed his toe. When he rocked around, his feet got dirty. When he had a tickle in his nose, he sneezed. When someone hit him, it hurt. He experienced the full range of human emotions. He knew joy and sadness and everything in between. He knew frustration and anger. He was fully inhuman in every way. The Word became flesh, God incarnate. And the Bible tells us why this had to happen. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that He might make atonement for the sins of the people. These passages tell us that Jesus didn't become real because He had to taste food or because He had to feel sorrow because he needed a nap. That's not why he became human. He became human. He became a baby to save us. Hebrews continues, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Jesus was born as a human, so he was under the law. He had to obey the law perfectly, just like we are required to obey the law perfectly. He had to do everything God asked him to do, never make a mistake, and he did. And because he did and because he was fully God and fully human, he was able to take that perfection to the cross 
where he then experienced the wrath of God against sin, but not his own sin, our sin. The Bible tells us that this had to happen, and in fact that his blood had to be shed in order for us to receive that forgiveness, because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Incarnation brings salvation and forgiveness. The Word became flesh so that the precious Lamb of God could be nailed to a cross and bleed and die for us. This is what incarnation does. And this is awesome. This truth causes me to adore Christ, to adore what He was willing to endure from the moment of His birth until His death on that cross. But this isn't the most awesome thing to me. There's one thing that's even more awesome that I think John makes very clear in this passage right here. As important as it is that we have forgiveness, that we have salvation, John actually says that because the Word became flesh, this is the only reason we can really know who God is. Listen for this again as I read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Nothing was made without Him. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who Himself is God, has made Him known. Because Jesus came as a baby, God in the flesh, incarnate, we can know God. One of the songs we sang earlier this morning talked about there was this mystery that for generations was not known. Now it's made known. Uh, Hebrews also says that God has spoken in many ways in various times through the prophets. Now He has made Himself known through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. No one has ever seen the face of God and lived until the day Jesus was born. And then Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men, they looked at the face of God. And because of that, we can also know God. For me, this is the most amazing thing about the, Christians, the Christmas story and this truth about God in the flesh incarnate. And then John goes on to embellish on this throughout his whole book, if you want to continue to follow this. In fact, I think that all the, what we know as the I am statements are all fleshing out what it means for us to know this God who became human, this God in the flesh, where Jesus says, you know, I am the light of the world. He's shining in the darkness. Because of Jesus, we can know that God shines his light into our darkness. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from his mouth. And so because of Jesus, we know that God's word is truth that can speak into our life to nourish and feed us. Jesus says, I am the living water. That, you know, we get thirsty, we need water to sustain us, but in Jesus we recognize that there is this water that quenches our deepest thirst. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If we abide in him, we draw life. If we abide in him, we are abiding with God. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd watches over his sheep, watches over his flock. Because of Jesus, we know that God is watching over us. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Because of Jesus, we know that there is life for us. Jesus 
is the Word become flesh, God incarnate. And when I pray, I picture Jesus as the incarnate one because that tells me that I can know God and that leads me to adore Him. Let's pray. God, as we come before you this morning, I give you thanks for the the truth of your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is here to guide us into that truth. And we thank you for the gift of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.